0: If you would, open your Bibles to Psalms 42, and uh, as you do that, let me just open up with a story. One evening in 1808, a gaunt, sad-faced man entered the office of Dr. James Hamilton in Manchester, England. As the man came in, the doctor was struck by the melancholic look uh, on the appearance of the man. He inquired to him, he says, are you sick? The man said, yes, doctor, sick of mortal malady. He said, what malady? The man replied, I'm frightened of the terror of the world around me. I'm depressed by life. I I can find no happiness anywhere. Nothing amuses me. I have nothing to live for. And if you cannot help me, I shall kill myself. The doctor replied, the malady is not mortal. You only need to get out of yourself. You need to laugh to get some pleasure from life. The man said, well, what shall I do? Well, go to the circus tonight. See Grimaldi, the clown. Grimaldi is the funniest man alive, and he will cure you. And as the doctor looked back into the face of the man, a spasm of, of pain crossed the man's face as he said to the doctor, he said, don't jest with me, I am Grimaldi. And I like that illustration, it's a true one, because oftentimes we think there are just certain people who never ought to experience depression and despair. I mean, who would think one of the funniest clowns of the 1800s would actually be someone who is struggling with depression. And the reality is that same thought is often brought into the Christian life as well. There's a thought that if you genuinely know Christ and you're faithfully following Him and you're, you're a genuine follower, you don't struggle with depression. You don't just struggle with despair. It's wrong. I agree with the statements of uh, Chuck Swindoll when he he writes this. He says, we do a real disservice to a new Christian by telling him that it is abnormal or sinful to be disturbed or depressed at any time. How unrealistic and how unbiblical. It's true. It is unbiblical. This is why, uh, as we address the issue of depression and despair this morning. This is why I love the Psalms so much. The Psalms are, are a, a book written by God's people, inspired by God Himself, but they deal with real-life feelings and difficulties experienced by genuine followers of God. They say things that we, as followers of Christ, are are often afraid to say because. We're afraid to say it because someone might think that uh, they might judge us or judge our spirituality. They might just say something to us like, hey, just quit sinning and buck up. But Psalms deal with these real raw emotions. But the Psalms do not lead us void of instruction in the midst of these feelings and emotions. See, what, what the Psalms do... If you work your way through and what the Psalms do is they tell us how to, as we feel these things, they also tell us how we ought to think in the midst of these feelings. The Psalms help us think and feel to the issues that we go through in life. Look with me to the superscription that comes in uh, chapter 42 there at the beginning. It says, For the choir director, a maskil of the sons of Korah, now, a mascal is simply this. It's a, it's a transliterated Hebrew word. You say, what is that? A transliterated Hebrew word is simply this. They weren't for sure how to translate it, and so what they simply did is for every Hebrew sound, they just picked out the English letter that matched that and transliterated it for you. It's a mascal. You say, what is a mascal? Well, We're not absolutely sure, but we think because this word comes from a verb it, a verb that means this. It means to make someone wise or to instruct about a situation. And in essence, what this psalm is doing is it, it is a, a psalm that is actually meant to be sung because the sons of Korah were actually a group of priests within temple worship that were, their ministry was music and they would sing. They would sing this psalm. And so this is a song that is meant to be sung to instruct and provide wisdom about life situations. And the wisdom and instruction it wants to provide today is, what about the person who is despairing and have a disturbance of the soul? Look with me to the text here. And I'm not going to go through this as I normally do because of the repetitive nature of this psalm. We're going to pick out different parts and truths I'm going to lay them out. But look at verse 5 with me. In verse 5 it says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? And when I want to look at that word despair and disturbed. The first one is despair. And what despair is, it's translated in some versions, it's cast down or downcast. But literally in the Hebrew it means this. It means to sink down. It means to be bent low. That's why the New English translation translated as depression. He's talking about those times when we're so down, we're so bent low, that we just want to crawl up in a fetal position. He's talking about those times. Then he uses this word along with despair, and he's also talking about disturbance. And the word disturbance comes from a Hebrew Hebrew word which speaks to murmuring or groaning or growling, that is, uh, it's, it's being boisterous, but he's talking about... The the despair, the disturbance in the soul. It's like that, that noise that comes out, it's like a sense of churning in your soul. Actually, this word for disturbance is used elsewhere in the Psalms to refer to the raging seas. In essence, what the psalmist is saying is that with inside him, his insides are churning. They're they're raging, they're going back and forth like the, the waves of an ocean in the midst of this despair, this depression. He's churning inside can you relate to that some of you here may not but my exhortation to you is let me tell you something there's people all around you who are a part of the body of christ which means they're a part of your body if you know christ and you need to listen to this message because you're called to minister to them So in the midst of this, he is disturbed. And we see in the rest of the scriptures, we begin to see how this churning, this despair is unfolding. Look with me to verse three of chapter 42. We're going to recognize some of the symptoms of this. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. That is, he's overwhelmed with tears. They just they just keep coming. They keep, keep coming out and. And then it speaks in verse 7. He says, deep calls to deep as the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. You ever had that feeling of when waves just kind of overtake you? I remember when I was a young pup. I was around seven years old or so or younger. And it was rough. We were vacationing in St. Petersburg, Florida. And the waters were rough. And Dad said, come on out. And I started to walk into these waves. And I just got flayed. Just right in my face, a wave just came and knocked me over and rolled me up the beach. And I was totally overwhelmed and I felt helpless. And I didn't want to go on the water for the rest of the vacation. He's got a helpless feeling here. He feels overwhelmed by what he's experiencing and what he's feeling. And then look at this in verse uh, 9. Look what he says here. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse 2 of chapter 43 says, uh, Why have you rejected me? He feels for, forgotten and forsaken by God. This word actually, mourning, where I go mourning, can also be translated, I go about mourning. And as one commentator said, it, it reminded him of what psychiatrists used to call at one time, it reminded him of an agitated depression. An agitated depression is a kind of depression that you, you, you can't sit still. You, you can't sit and rest. You're depressed, but you can't, you can't rest. You just got to keep moving. That seems to be the case of the, of the psalmist here. And then notice what it says in, in verse 10 of chapter 42. It, it, he says, as a shattering of my bones. Another translation of it is, is literally, it's as a deadly wound in my bones. It's as if what has been churning inside is now he's starting to feel it in his bones. he's starting to feel the, the physical pain of his inner depression. And that happens in severe depression. These are the symptoms. I can remember a particular period in, in my, my life um, I have a very long stretch of difficult ministry. And why I love you people. You're difficult sometimes. Okay? And then to add to that your difficulty, I'm difficult sometimes. I remember in this particular time of just difficulty that I began to withdraw and I began to be very distracted. And no one said anything to me until someone who loves me very dearly came. To me. And finally pointed out, she says, Man, I think you're depressed. She was right. So I got help and began to pull out of that. And I tell you this because it's important that you have people around you, or perhaps even yourself, that you begin to recognize and see the symptoms that may indicate a despair and disturbance. We also need it's important to identify causes. Look at this man, like, what is. What is going on? What has them in this way? Look at, look at verse 3. The reason he's having tears as food night and day is because, look, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? My question is, who is they? Somebody is saying and someone is putting doubt in his mind that, hey, your God, where is he? he? He doesn't seem to be, be present here. And this, the main thing that compounds it is the psalmist feels the same way. Then look at verse 4. There's a sense where the, the psalmist, he, he's longing to go to the centerpiece of worship in, in uh, the Israelite nation, which was to go to Jerusalem, and he can't get there for something that is keeping him from there. What, what is that? Well, look at verse 9 and 10. It says, because of the impression of my enemy, he's being oppressed. There's an enemy that somehow he is keeping this, this psalmist away from the centerpiece of worship. And then it says, as a shattered in my bones, my adversaries, look at this, they revile me while they say to me all day long. So it's not like they just said one thing about him forgetting their God, his God or that his God has forgotten him. They keep doing over and over and over into him. And it pushes them into despair. It's important to identify the causes because in order to deal with them appropriately, need to identify it. Now, the, 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 as just as the symptoms are, are, are many, the, the causes can be vary as well. It could be an outside circumstance like this. It can be just long-term wrong thinking. It can be long-term stress. It can be long-term physical illness and pain. It can be lack of sleep. It can be sin as well. It can be a physical breakdown in the body with no direct link to sin that causes biological problems. Depression can range from just being a situational depression to, to a sense of just chronic depression to a sense of even more where it's just clinical depression. And it varies amongst people depending upon how it's treated. And the reality is, there are some folks that it's so gone, and I'm going to say something that's oftentimes a, a stigma within in the church. But there are times when it is appropriate, and I would suggest to you, if you've experienced depression for a substantial period of time, that you go see medical help. That you go, and you get a physical evaluation. You get a full workup, and you see, you let that medical professional see if there is a need. For medicine, you say. Well, here's why I say that. I've worked with people before in depression, and and I could sit down and I could counsel them and share them everything I'm going to share with you here in a few moments. I'm going to give you about five principles, and I could share all that with them, and they could they could hear it. But because they're so overwhelmed, they're so overcome by the feelings of despair and disturbance and it begins to affect them physically, they are just incapable of being able to wrap their heads around those truths and apply it. And, and I liken it to this. It's, it's as if sometimes, you, you, most of you guys are not going to admit this, but some of us guys have gotten off the road and into a ditch and got stuck in the mud, all right? And and when you're in that mud, you spin those tires and you spin them. You're like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I know I got to get out of here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. But you spin them and you spin them, but you can't get out. You're stuck. And so someone has to come along and they have to put a a plank of wood underneath it or a rock and to kind of just lift you up out of that. And then you still got mud on your tires, but at least you can get back up on the road and and start making your way. And so too with those who are, are so. Overwhelmed, their body is so drained that there are times when they need, which I believe is when used appropriately as a gift from God, for medical help or professional help to just kind of lift them out of that, put them there to where they can begin to get to a place where they can begin to examine, to think through appropriately, change their wrong beliefs, to repent of their sin and put it off. But only then can they begin to do that wrap their heads around it. Only then can they begin to get to the heart issues of depression now speaking of heart issues I want you to look at verses 5, 11 and and then 43, 5 as well there's something he keeps coming back to saying He expresses his despair, his disturbance, and then he keeps coming back and he says, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. This guy is a man of faith, as we'll see here in a moment, but he's recognizing that he's got to keep his hope in God. And I want to suggest to you that one of the the major heart problems or heart issues, that is those inner issues of, of the mind and the will, is that oftentimes in depression, there is hopelessness. And oftentimes in depression, it's related to, Sometimes that people put their hope in the wrong thing or the wrong person. And they keep striving for hoping in that thing or striving for hope in that person. And they remain hopeless. And what the psalmist knows, even though he's in the midst of despair, he knows that the only source of true hope is God. Now, there can be other heart issues. There's things like fear, anger, failure, shame, unforgiveness, guilt, and grief. But I believe even amongst those heart issues, there's often intertwined with that a sense of hopelessness. And so what the psalmist does, and what I believe he will learn here is that he will share with us, actually, I see seven, but I only have time to share five. Five truths to help us handle depression with hope in god to build up our hope now as i as i give you these truths and as i share these with them do not think for a minute that i believe that if you just take these these principles and apply it to your heart today bam depression is over all right and those of you that are ministering something don't believe that it doesn't work that way but these are truths that need to become the centerpiece of someone's life as they begin to continue to work through depression with the help of others outside, professionals, but also to center their thoughts and their truths on God. These are truths to help you do that. The first one is this. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 42. We hope in God in the midst of despair and depression by longing for God. Look what it says there in the text. It says, As the deer." Pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, I want you to look back in the text, and I want you to look at it. I want you to notice the first thing he says is he doesn't say this. Look what he doesn't say as you look at that. He doesn't say, Lord, get me out of this. He doesn't say, hey, take this burden away right now. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong to ask for that. matter of fact, as you look further in the text, he does pray for resolution of that. But this psalmist knows something. He knows something. He, he, he knows that uh, we, if we hope or if we long for any other thing than the living God, he's wanting a greater sense of the presence of the living God in his life. If you long for something more, it won't quench his thirst he takes the, the the deer perhaps because he's out in the wilderness he, he spots a deer that's looking for streams of water now, i can't really relate to this i've never really thirst physically in that way but I, I do the closest i relate to that is when i went on some missionary trips to the philippines and i, I don't know what it is but they don't believe in ice in the philippines okay and, and i would i would get over there and i, and I just longed for a soda that was not just because when, they, when you would ask them for ice, they go, blop. And I'm like, no, drink the whole bucket and put it in there, okay? Because what I was longing for is I was longing for a soda. You know, it's in that ice, and it's so much ice in it. It's so cold that perspiration is dripping. All, you know what I'm talking about, Josh? It's that kind when it's like a 105-degree day in Texas that you just grab it, and you can take the Coke and just wipe it all over you, and then you just kind of down it. That's what I was longing for. I wasn't getting that and I was left thirsty and and what the psalmist is doing here is he's he's saying look I am left thirsty if I don't sense the presence of God in my life I long for him to be present in my life and and here's the reality and here's what you must realize we were created for relationship with God if you go all the way back to creation we were created to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ that relationship is stored it's restored in Christ. And there is no one or no thing outside of a relationship with Christ that can fully satisfy your longings. can't. And the psalmist knows it. And he longs for God. He longs for God, particularly in the midst of his despair and his depression. But look what else he does. Because sometimes people say, well, what if I'm depressed? I, don't even, I, I can't even long for God. Here's what you do. Tell God that. Tell Him I don't long for you. I don't desire you. And then ask Him to give you the longing. Look what the psalmist does. He he laments. He laments to Him. A lament is, is uh, biblically inspired moaning, complaints. It's like he says, a hey, it's, it's the idea of just give God your questions. Give Him your doubts. Give Him your, your raw emotions. Just, just give them to Him. Just share it with Him. Look what it says in verse 9 of chapter 42. He says, my, I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Look at that. He's, he's saying, God, why have you forgotten me? He's lamenting. And he says in the next one, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why? Why? He's asking questions. He's lamenting. Now, when I read those, particularly the bunch of us or you that uh, are here that really don't struggle with depression much, that really don't understand it because you really don't fully understand it until you're around those, and you don't really, really understand till until you go through it. When, when I read things like that, laments and other types of laments, it doesn't sit right with you, does it? Especially you, you guys, that, uh, you of us, that we, 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 we prize our theology, or our accurate theology about things. And we hear things like that, and we're like, no, that's not right. And it's not. So we, 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 we don't it doesn't sit right with us because we know, the first thing is, we know that God doesn't forget us. He will never leave us nor forsake us, therefore He doesn't reject us, and we know that. But let me give you a bit of counsel that I've learned over the years and the hard way. In that moment, keep your mouth shut. You can know all the theology you want to know, and that's great, and you should. But when someone is lamenting, your job is to weep with them. Your job is to listen. Listen. Now, I'm not saying theology is not important. I'm not saying there's not a place when you need to come along and you need to point that if you, if you truly sense, because the reality is, the reality is, this is kind of like what, uh, what Job used to call their words in the wind. A lot of times when you're in the midst of, of depression, you just have things. I mean, why is the psalmist saying these things? He's saying these things because that's what he feels. And, and God invites us to say, "This is what you feel. Say it to me." And He doesn't need us theological police at that moment to come around and say, "No, you're off." I mean, I know you're weeping. You think, "God," but you're off. It doesn't work. That it does not work. What you need to do is weep with those who weep. And then, as you discern it, and as you see God work, and you really find that 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 is truly they have misplaced theology then at the appropriate time, you come in with those truths. But I believe these are words in the wind, because look what the psalmist says. Now, go back to the text. Look what he says right before it. Look what he says there. Notice that. Before he ever says, why have you forgotten me? He says, I will say to the God of my rock. That means a rock is referring to his security. These are not a words of a man who doesn't have any faith at all it may be weak it may not be strong at this moment but notice the next time he says you are the god of my strength why have you rejected me he he what see what we don't realize is that in the midst of questions and doubts and laments faith exists it's there god's not afraid of our questions all he's asking is we bring those things to him that we trust him. As little, as much as we can. And one of the ways, because sometimes we ask, well, Lord, or I say, well, my faith is waning. And one of the ways we do that, look at verse 4. He says, these things I remember and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with a throng and and lead them in the procession to the house of God with a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So in essence, he's going back and he's remembering past times, and it's powerful when your faith is waning and weak that you go back and you recall, because when we're in depression, we get so focused on ourselves and where we're at, and we forget that our God has not changed. Our situation may have changed, but our God has not changed. And he's the God who has given you victory in the past. He's the God who's given you experiences in the past. And he is the same God right now in the midst of this despair. And he remembers that. But I want to show something even more powerful or or as powerful as well. I want us to focus on it's in that verse 4 again. Notice what he's longing for. He's longing for this time to be back when he was worshiping corporately. And he can't go there. And a principle that I want us to understand that one way our hope is built up in God is when we worship corporately. I've shared this before, but there was a, a time in my teenage years where I used to think that if I just got there for the sermon, at some point, um, I could check off my list. Well, as God likes to do in his children's lives, is he likes to just bring some things to our attention sometimes. And he got attention of Matt, and he said, Matt, there's more to it than my word. That's important. You need that. But there's something as important as well. It's worshiping with my people. You need to be amongst my people singing. You need to be amongst my people praying. You need to be amongst my people being encouraged and encouraging others. See, the tendency of a depressed person is actually to withdraw. They're not going to want to go to corporate worship because they're not going to feel like they're spiritual. They're not going to feel like they even have faith. And so they don't want to go. They don't want to be there. But I want to suggest that's exactly where they need to be. In a book called In Darkness is My My Only Companion, a Christian response to mental health or mental illness, Catherine Green McCreet describes her tortured journey of 10 years of depression and bipolar disorder. Concerning the importance of Christian fellowship while in recovery, she writes this. She writes, this is why it's so important to worship in community, to ask your brother and sister in Christ to pray for you, because sometimes you literally cannot make it on your own. You need to borrow from the faith of those around you. Sometimes, she says, I cannot even recite the creed unless I am doing it in the context of worship along with all the body of Christ. When reciting the creed, I borrow from the recitation of others. Companionship in the Lord, she said, Jesus is powerful. Corporate worship is powerful. And what, what I want to tell you here today, and what I want to exhort you here today, is be here for worship. Be here for the whole time. Don't pull my trick, okay? Be here the whole time. Be involved. Because see, what you may not realize, particularly again you that do not struggle much with depression, is that around you are people who do. And you are called to be ministers. We are called to be ministers of one another. And there are people around you each week, each service that they need to borrow from your faith as they need to see you come in here full of faith, and they need to borrow from that. They need to borrow from your prayers, because maybe they can't pray at the moment. They Maybe they want to sing that song, but they can't sing that song, so they need to borrow from your song as you sing behind them to encourage them and bolster them. They need to borrow from your walk with God. Do you get it? There's more to it than showing up here. There's life transformation that takes place here. There's people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are depressed souls that are lifted up. And God desires to use you and me so that they might borrow from what he's doing in our life. There's a story that I came across to. It was about a couple named Hans and Enid. Hans and Enid were from Germany. And Hans was a, a teacher of scripture. And he left Germany. He came to America to come and to teach. And Hans loved his wife. One of the things he loved with his wife is he cherished the walks that he could take with her around the campus and other places, that he could hold her hand, that he could share with her, he could talk with her, the experiences of his teaching and all those other things. But as happens, and as will happen to all of us, one of the spouses died, Ena died. And when Enid died, Hans went into such grief and despair he was overwhelmed by it, and he was had friends who were noticing to see his withdrawnness, noticing that he wasn't even able to come to worship any longer and some friends, some key men from the where he taught at, came around him and and he finally just blurted out to them he says i i "I can't even pray anymore he says I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And there was a pause. And then one of the men stepped up and they said to him, we will pray for you. We will make your confession. We will believe for you. And they did that for weeks and weeks. They did that. Until by the grace of God, in the one of these times where they were getting together and they were worshiping for him, they were praying for him, they are believing for him, he suddenly spoke up and he said, you can stop praying for, for me. I'm going to now pray with you. And folks, that is the power of worship and community. And that's how God desires to use you in the life of those who are in despair and disturbance and the churning of their souls. May we not take worship lightly. Can I get an amen on that? You, you can talk every once in a while. It's all right. Now look at this. One other thing that he says here. I want you to look at verse 6. This is, this is cool. Because look in verse 6. He goes, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember. Now he already said I, I remember something else. He already said I remember the time of worship. All right? He remembers that. Then he comes and he says, now I remember something else. And what does he say first? What does it say? He says, you. So he went from a time of just remembering the experience of worship he had to now he turns around and he focuses in on you, who is God. And what I want to suggest to you, one of the ways that we meditate, or we hope in God is strengthened, is meditating on his personal character. Look at the text with me more. He says, therefore I remember you, I remember from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of of Mount uh, Mazar, or Hermon and from Mount Mazar, deep calls a deep at the sound of whose waterfalls? Your waterfalls. All whose breakers? Your breakers. All your waves have rolled over me. Now, notice that. He says your, the personal pronoun there. He's he's saying these waves, these breakers, they're yours. And, And this isn't a complaint, I don't believe at all. In essence, what I believe he's doing is that in the midst of the waves and the the things that are rolling over him, the waterfalls of his despair and disturbance, he's recognizing that God is sovereign in the midst of these. And that's an important truth to understand about the sovereign character of God. That as his sovereign, he ultimately rules over all, and he is in control of all things. And I don't know about you, but when you meditate on that truth long and hard, that has been an immense comfort in my life. In the midst of the struggles and the losses and the pains of life, it is good to know that I have a God who is sovereign and who rules even in the midst of it. That he is the one who rules and is with me in it. He's the one that ultimately can bring me out of it and he is the one who ultimately can use it for his purposes and his plans that a sorrow and a pain will not be lost to God because he is so sovereign that he can use that to minister other people's lives and he is also the God who sovereignly rules that there will be a day when my body will no longer know any depression or despair. He is sovereign. Now I got to get amen. Come on Josh. Sovereign. Notice this too. I love this part. Verse 8. The Lord. Now, when you see the Lord there and you see it in all capital letters in most versions of the Bible, he is that is referring to uh, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. That is, it's referring to that He is the covenant-keeping God, that He made a promise to His people and He will keep it. He is faithful to that. That he cares for his people. Look how he cares for his people. Because look what the text says as well. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness. This is my favorite word in Hebrew. Probably because it's the only ones I could say. It's chesed. And chesed, literally, it's the idea of loyal love. In essence, when he says loving kindness, he's speaking of his loyal love. And what he's telling you as his children is that, hey, my love for you doesn't cease. My love for you doesn't stop. I don't forget you. I don't reject you. My love is loyal to you for all eternity. And I keep my promises. See, one of the things we must do in the midst of despair is we must meditate on the personal character of God. We must begin to go back and review who he is. And look what it does to this psalmist. And as a result of this, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. As he he meditates on the character of God, he is moved to sing a prayer to him. You have songs that do that in your life? I want you to understand, I want you to grasp the the character and nature of God a little bit more. So I'm going to quote some words from a man named Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And as I quote these words or I read these words to you, I wanted to sink in to you even further who it is, the God, that you hope in, what he is like. And these words are about our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lockridge says this, He is the one who made us. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeking seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. He is my God. It's in him I hope. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is enduringly sh- strong. He, he is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful, and he is impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is God's son. He is the center savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He is our God. My question is: Do you hope in him? He does not have to call for help, and you cannot confuse him. He does not need you, and he does not need me. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He is august, and he is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem of higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of truth, theology. He is the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He is the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good that you can call him. It's in Him, I hope. Do you? Do you hope in Him? He can satisfy all your needs, and He can do it simultaneously. He supplies the strength for the weak, and He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and He sees, He guards and He guides, He heals the sick, He cleanses the leper, He forgives the sinners, He discharges the debtors, He delivers the captives, He defends the feeble, He blesses the young, He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent, He beautifies the meek, and I hope in that God... Do you? He is the key of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the gateway to glory. Brad, do you hope in him? He is the mightiest of the mighty He's the captain of the conquerors. He is the head of the heroes. He is the leader of the legislators. He is the overseer of the overcomers. He is the governor of governors. He is the prince of princesses. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords and he is my hope. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. Because he's incomprehensible, he's irresistible, because he's invincible. You can't get him off your hands, you can't get him off your mind, you can't outlive him, you can't, out, can't live without him. Pilate couldn't stand him when he could not stop him, and Pilate could not find any fault in him, and the witnesses could not get their testimonies agree, and Herod could not kill him, and death could not handle him, and thank God the grave could not hold him. There was nobody before him. There will be nobody after him. He has no predecessor. He has no successor. You cannot impeach him, and he will not resign. Believer, hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. That is our God. Can I get at least one amen? That's something to get excited about, folks. That's your God. That's the God who can be with you and bring you through depression. That's the God who will ultimately someday, in his divine will and wisdom, will bring you out of depression. And this is the God. This is the hope we need to preach to ourselves. I want you to look at this last point preaching his truth to to ourselves. Look at verse 5 and verse 11, and then verse 5 again of of chapter 43. In that, three times, look what he does. He, He talks about his laments, he says, This is why I despair. this is how I'm disturbed, and then he stops as he's he's saying that, and he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Then again, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then again, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. What's he doing? What is he doing right there? Let me tell you what he's doing. He's preaching to himself. So you think that you need Grant and myself to preach to you? You don't. You have the truth and the knowledge of God. And what this psalmist is doing, that in the midst, even though he doesn't feel it, he's preaching truth to himself. He's counseling his own soul. I like what the uh, great preacher of yesteryear said, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression. Listen to what he writes. This This is awesome. He says this, have you realized that, the, that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do you get that? Let me read again. You are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you uh, the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalms 42, he says, was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul was being, had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says this. Self, listening for a moment. I will speak to you, hope in God. See, so what we need to start doing, the part of coming out and hoping in God, is we need to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves, telling ourselves true. We need to wake up some mornings instead of being burdened down. We need to say, Self, you need to hear a few things. Self, you need to hear what my God says. My, my God says, He will never, never leave or forsake me. Self, you need to hear this, what Christ my Savior said, that in this world you have a tribulation, but take courage because I have overcome the world. Self, you need to listen up because what the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, he said in Romans 8 that nothing, nothing shall ever separate me from the love of God. And then get this. Get this one. All right? You need to tell self, hey, self, listen up because First Peter 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused me to be born again to a living hope. Did you get that? We don't don't hope in wishful hope. We don't hope, man, I just hope this all works out with God. No, we hope in a living hope because our Savior did not die on that cross. He wasn't left in that, that, that burial tomb. He's alive today, and so we have a living hope. Self, you need to hear that. And you need to hear the rest of this self because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, or undefiled, will not fade away. That's reserved in heaven for you. Listen to that self. That's a living hope. I want to land this plane right now, and here's how I want to land it. Perhaps one of the greatest messages that you can ever preach to yourself is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ back to yourself. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all these truths I just said are true. Because of all those things and characteristics of God are, are, are yours to take hold of because of your, your faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, that, that last term up there, if we'd show it, there's a, there's a place where it says about being helped. And that term helped is literally, it's a word for salvation. It's the same word that we get the word Yeshua from or Joshua. And Joshua, which means God saves, is the same word from which we get Jesus from. Jesus means salvation is of my God or God saves. Folks, that's our hope. Dear God, your truths are so rich. abundance. Lord, my prayer is that amidst amidst the feelings that we feel, may we still hang on to your truths that teach us how to think and feel, or how to think even in the midst of our feelings. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they will be ministers of hope in God and that they will also be ministered to by other brothers and sisters in Christ about hope in God. I pray for those who don't know you as their Savior, that they might come to a realization that they are sinners in need of a Savior and put their faith and trust in the person and work of Christ alone, because beyond without Christ, there is no living eternal hope. Lord, draw them to yourself, I pray. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your word And it's time to worship together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.